0: Jude, our final letter. It's not final in terms of time. John's three little letters were later. So why is Jude put here at the end of the New Testament letters? I have a guess. It's the theme. Fight for the faith. From Romans to 3 John, we've been given the essentials of our faith. How to apply the salvation Jesus brought to our 24-7 daily lives. I think maybe they put Jude here to give us a heads up. People, contend for the faith delivered in these 20 previous letters. Dig in. Don't give up ground. Grab the essentials with white knuckles and hang on. We believe Jude, like James, was Jesus' little brother. At the beginning of this letter, he calls himself a bondservant of Jesus the Messiah. I've never explained bondservants. In scripture, servants were like employees. They normally served an employer for a period of time, perhaps to pay off a debt. But when the time came to an end, they had an opportunity to say, I like this gig. I like my master. I want to stay on. So they'd ask the master, would you make me your bond servant, your servant for life? If the master was so inclined, he would take the servant to a post and put a little hole through his earlobe. Perhaps an earring would be placed in that hole. It was a status symbol. I have now intentionally, joyfully chosen to become the permanent employee or servant of this benevolent master. Paul called himself a bondservant. James called himself a bondservant. As I recall, Peter called himself a bondservant. And now Jude says that. I have intentionally joyfully made myself a permanent servant of Jesus the Messiah. Jude identifies his audience. This is to all those who are called and beloved and kept for the day of Jesus Christ. That would be Jews and Gentiles in Jude's day, plus all of you who have gone all in on Jesus and are listening to this today. In other words, this rumble to hang on to the essentials of faith is our battle. Jude says, God has given us salvation. He's bought us back through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a free gift through all-in faith in Jesus. Now, we need to contend earnestly to hang on to that faith and hand it down to others. Jude then talks about the battle, the battle to hang on to our faith. Sometimes there's an all-out attack on it, but more often than not, that battle creeps in unnoticed. It's subtle. I ask my students if they've heard of the frog in the kettle illustration. Usually one or two have, but most of them haven't. I ask a student who has to give the class the illustration. It's this. If you throw a frog into a pan of hot water, it will immediately leap out. But if you put a frog in a pan of lukewarm water, it will relax. And then, if you ever so slowly add heat, the frog will relax even more. And slowly, over time, its body will adjust to the higher heat, and it literally can get cooked. I've heard this can happen to people whose hot tubs malfunction as well. Jude says, be very careful not to be the frog in the kettle. To slowly have our once handed down faith ripped from us as we relax in our secular culture. He explains how that normally happens. People who turn God's free gift of salvation, his grace, into a license for loose living. What do I mean by that? Well, the Jews who followed the Apostle Paul around, they could answer that question. If salvation is a gift from God by faith in Jesus alone, if you don't have to do anything, does that mean once you've received that grace, you can do anything? Paul responded, you've got to be kidding me. In episode 23 on Noah, I gave an illustration of what grace meant. I'll summarize. My kids were incorrigible. I sent them to bed without supper. An hour later, I knocked on their door. They tiptoed into the hall to find that I'd set up a pizza party out there. A pizza party in the hall for incorrigible brats. That's grace. My kids' riches at daddy's expense. Can you imagine my kids after that pizza party, standing there looking at each other? Then they smile and say, how about it? Same time, same place, tomorrow night? What kind of kids would do that? After receiving such grace from their daddy, trample that with terrible behavior. Jude says, don't subtly slip into loose living just because you're saved by God's gift. Contend for holy living. Jude adds, don't deny our only master and Lord. That's subtle too. Denying our Master and Lord is slowly slipping into a sense that we, rather than He, are in charge. Remember through Acts and the New Testament letters, Jesus is our Messiah, that is our Savior, and our Lord, our Master. Refusing to obey should be a dashboard light that flashes that something is desperately wrong. Let me repeat those two items. Don't turn grace into a license for loose living. And don't slip back into thinking, you are in charge of your life, not Jesus, your master. Jude then gets historical. He reminds his readers what happened to the people of Israel. Those were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. They'd been delivered by God graciously. Then they subtly slipped into unbelief. And what happened? God took them out in the wilderness. Jude then turns his attention toward teachers. Unfortunately, much of our battle as Christians fighting for the faith is done with religious teachers, false teachers. Jesus might call them wolves in sheep's clothing. So how can we identify a false teacher who's trying to erode our faith? Jude gives some characteristics. They reject authority. They're the authority. Like Cain, they don't listen to God. They try and prove on God's commands with their own ideas on what it means to follow God. Like Balaam, they are prophets for hire, for financial gain. Like Korah, who challenged Moses' leadership, they challenged God's true teachers. Then Jude uses several word pictures to identify these false teachers eroding our once-delivered faith. They're like hidden reefs that shipwreck us. Rainless clouds that make a lot of noise but provide no moisture. Fruitless trees, foaming waves stirring up what's on the bottom and wandering stars in the blackness of the sky. He gives a few more characteristics. They grumble, find fault with Christians. They live loosely. They're arrogant. They kiss up to get a following and mock those walking in obedient trust. They're divisive. So Jude, like the movie Patton, standing in front of his troops on the stage says, Ladies and gentlemen, children of God, fight back, contend, get ready to rumble. And how do we do that? By building our faith up with scripture. By praying in and for the fullness of the Helper, the Holy Spirit by abiding deeply in the daily love of God. And we are not to just do this for ourselves or our own families, but to do these things with others, brothers and sisters, who are also slowly slip-sliding away. Jude says, snatch these folks from the fire or from the kettle they're being cooked in. Jude ends with a benediction, a we-win benediction. It's a dandy. Here it is, now unto Him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you to stand in the presence of His, God the Father's glory, blameless and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God's kids, we win hang on to the faith. With that benediction, we leave the letters and enter our last New Testament book, the revelation given to John, how our salvation brought about in Jesus is completed. That salvation ain't over, folks. God tells us what over is going to look like and what happens then. And we'll look at this exciting revelation given to John, in our next word pictures.